our inaugural podcast episode of Shh, the adults are talking. So we are just going to, I think tonight we're going to talk about what everyone is talking about. Um, we're going to talk about uh, Tucker Carlson and his interview with Putin. And um, everyone's everyone in America is losing their shit about it. Um, I find it really amusing. I found this thing on Twitter. This guy is called Sebastian Hidalgo. And he is a um, certified hostage nego negotiator. And he's his, his background is in interna international relations. So he says, and he calls himself a brand strategist. So breakdown of the Vladimir Putin brand. Um, the interview is endearing Putin to some. To others, those, uh, those confirm he is manipulative. But I'm here to tackle another topic. What's the root of Putin's charisma? I don't do politics, so I don't care about your feelings. I only care about what's being communicated. When I see you get passionate, I sniff manipulation. When I see you do politics, I see marketing. When I feel you hate, I sense narratives. This is not a Putin apology. This is a post for those who want to see beyond the veil. So the origin story of Putin, his family. Putin's parents survived 900 days in Leningrad, a city under German siege where a million people died of thirst and hunger. They would eat rats and mix sand and soil to bake bread. Cannibalism became common. Their firstborn passed, and Putin's uncle tried to use the bones to make gelatin, leading to a ruthless fight with Putin's father. Unable to feed their second child, they handed him over to an orphanage where he passed a few weeks later. Putin's father, in a psychotic episode, destroyed his own hand with a hammer. His mother tried to take her own life. Vladimir Putin, origin story. Putin was a third born of two parents who swore they would never love a kid again. He grew up in a 16 square meter shared apartment with two other families. His favorite pastime as a kid was killing rats on the street. Young Putin ended up investigated for extortion and murder, drawing the attention of the police. They reached his house and enraged Putin senior threw his son out of the window an almost lethal fall that resulted in just a hip fracture. Vladimir Putin ended up in a detention center. At 16, he decided to dedicate his life to the KGB. The rest is history. Now, what about his brand? What makes Putin a unique world leader? How did he become our most feared enemy? First, archetype. Jungian archetypes are marketing psychology applied to the real world. Archetypes are storytelling for the mass appeal. They are mental models that your brain uses to put people and characters in specific categories. In marketing, branding, and politics, we use them to make you relate. To make sure you identify with the person or that at least you feel something about it. Because humans only take action when they feel, not when they think. Vladimir Putin is the ruler. That means he craves and needs power. A perfect example in marketing is Rolex. A ruler personality hates destitution, weakness, failure. 
This personality wants prosperity, success, status. You can see this archetype in Putin's use of power. He's ruthless, unforgiving, and relentless. He started Russian, ruling Russia in 1999 and hasn't virtually stopped ever since. Russians love him because of how he uses power to push an extremely nationalistic policy and because of his second archetype. Second archetype. Putin is a master at strategically portraying his own image. Notice these things. He always appears powerful, rock solid. He has a black belt in Sambo, is in peak physical condition. He's masculine and stoic. He's a national hero. You know these things because he lets you know them. He never lets any image of himself out without a purpose. The interview with Tucker is a perfect example of Putin controlling the narrative. When Tucker asks, Putin doesn't say yes or no. He redirects, deflects, and reframes. It's not by chance. Putin cannot let a foreigner dictate the narrative. He knows the world, and more importantly, Russians are watching and Russians expect strength. Which brings us into Putin's second archetype. Putin is the hero. In pop culture, this is Nike. Hero brands are all about accomplishing about turning obstacles into opportunities. Isn't that what Putin did his whole life? Unlike Nike, Putin doesn't try to inspire people to achieve. He wants his people to admire and fear him, always under his grip, but they do aspire to be like him. You see it even in the aftermath of this interview. Americans wish their leader was strong, fearsome. Russians see him as the epitome of a leader. Regardless of whether they are enemies or allies, people respect Putin. And that's what a hero archetype needs. As long as they cheer him for him and are terrified of his power, Putin will always rule Russia. That's the true reason why he invaded Ukraine, to solidify his internal image, to put the entire world on notice, which, which plays why he doesn't want to lose this war. His entire image is at play during the Ukraine invasion. However, the political game of smoke and mirrors doesn't end here. Vladimir Putin also has a third archetype. He is the outlaw. Third archetype. If you're, okay. Um, a brand is the meaning people attach to you. It is your reputation. This means that you don't own it. The audience always owns your brand. Putin can't be a hero for his people and also be a hero for his enemy. For the world, Vladimir Putin is a war criminal. He is an outlaw and has been his whole life. From fights and murder charges to suspected assassinations and World War III, Vladimir Putin has always been the perfect fit for the outlaw archetype. You see outlaw personalities, hate, servitude, conformity, dependence. Outlaw brands want change. Putin is redrawing borders. Revenge. Putin feels NATO wronged Russia. Liberation. The denazification argument. Outlaws fight the status quo and need a war to fight. Without a war, they're lost. And you know what's crazier? Putin used his notoriousness, his notoriety, to his advantage. Here's how. Narrative control. Putin uses the weakness of our Western society to his advantage. The extreme social wars in America allow him to say that our society is sick and collapsing. Ukraine's corruption and tolerance for the far right fuels his entire propaganda machine, enabling him to tell people that Nazis are coming back. Putin also leverages the lack of narrative control by Western leaders. He portrays them as feminine, Trudeau, incapable, Biden, hesitant, Obama. 
By doing so, Putin keeps a solid grip on the most important side of his brand, his Russian brand. Why does this matter? Because the support of his people depends on that. If Putin appears weak, they will lose trust in him. If he hesitates, they'll find him weak. And that's why Putin is trapped in a cage of his own making, and he took the world with him. Final thoughts. Vladimir Putin has the strongest brand in global politics, and he openly draws power and authority from it. But his brand has a weakness. It trapped him and the world. What does that mean, you ask? It means that Putin gave himself no peaceful way out. If he backs out from Ukraine and we go back to 2020, his people will lose respect for him, which is why in the Tucker interview, you saw Putin flipping the narrative once again. Peace was almost a done deal, but Boris Johnson got on the way. Denazification is apparently a one, one agreement away. War will stop, but only if America stops funding it. Perception is reality, and Putin took two hours of time to make sure that you buy into his reality and lose trust in NATO and in the West as a whole. Will it pay off? We don't know. But what we do know is this war must end. Too many lives lost. An entire generation of men is gone. Regardless of whether you love or hate Putin, let me warn you, there is a subtle war in the world. It is a war for the control over your mind, the war for control over your opinions. The players are many and defiantly powerful. So every time you feel tempted to take a political side, take a human side instead, the one that will never fail you. That's it. Hmm. What do you think about that? Interesting. Very interesting. I was really impressed by that. Hmm. And I really like, I agree. I, I really, I love um, because I like, I just love the analysis. Like I love the, like so many other things are like, oh, you know, MAGA, Moscow agents, gaslighting Americans and oh, you're a Putin apologist. And you're like, like, I don't find those things helpful. I find that, like he said, the guy, the thing I just read, you said um, his name is Sebastian Hidalgo. Um, if you're emotional, then you're trying to manipulate me, <laughs> you know? So I don't know. Thoughts? Because yeah. I've been talking a long time, so it's your turn. <laughs> well, one thing I've gathered is, is how do we entrust people who, as kids, enjoyed hunting rats with the button that can annihilate most of humanity? Like how did we get to, <laughs> how did we get there? You know, <laughs> you know yeah. We, we seem to be we seem no anybody who's qualified to be a world leader obviously doesn't want the job. They want they're running away from those kind of jobs. Um, and uh, the people we do have, I mean, from Boris Johnson to Trump to you know to to Putin, these are people who are seriously flawed. You know, and we're putting them in charge of nuclear weapons. You know, it's amazing. Absolutely mind-numbing. Uh, when I was growing up, ban the bomb was still a thing. And, uh, and that message seems to have been forgotten from the collective soul of our society. And uh, and uh, that's scary. I sort of wonder about the sanity of society. Where, because we we're not worried about the bomb, the, the very thing that annihilate the majority of people on this planet. What I was fascinated by is like 
his origin story. What a horrible origin story. <laughs> like, like, like his parents couldn't love anymore. Like his, his, you know, his parents lost two like infants, like, and you know, like one of his brothers was like, tried to make into like soup or something. I mean, like it's like, like, it's just awful. Like, 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 like cannibalism and eating rats and Leningrad and stuff. Like we never think about those things. Like I can't even like relate to that, but like, like when you just think about like, I'm not like everyone's going to be like, Oh, look at her. She's an blah, 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 whatever. I'm just, I'm just thinking about human, like the human person. Okay. Yeah. Like, how can you not think that that's like formidable? Like what he like survived, <laughs> like, 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 you know what I mean? Like he had no foundation. He had absolutely no foundation. And he decided at the age of 16, he was going to become a spy. Well, here's a little uh, early early life tip. His grandfather, his grandfather, uh, who was uh, Spiridon Putin. And he was the personal cook to Vladimir Lenin and Joseph Stalin. Damn. So, so this boy's this boy is connected in a weird way, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so his dad, his dad's served in the navy. His dad you know, went. He, he was in the submarine fleet. So I, I believe he served in a submarine. Yeah, and he went crazy. I think after losing his. Well, I mean, who, who wouldn't go crazy in those conditions, right? Uh, Probably most of us. Most of the factory worker. But um, but I uh, yeah, the, I'm trying to see what else is there. Uh, yeah, he had he had pretty good opportunities. I guess he's a pretty smart guy. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can just get that. Like, I guess from like one thing i've seen like one of the most consistent comments that i've seen on x is that he, like people really are impressed by his intellectual prowess mm. and like that's not a fangirling or fanboying or whatever that's just like a function of the fact that we have like it's some guy who looks like he should be in diapers running the states and then some guy who looks like he should he's late for his antipsychotic shot running canada i mean like like we're starving for for people who can sit there for two hours and talk about like eighth century russian history with not no like no notes or something like like we've just heard this is the archetypes and the things about you know the brand and like just observing my re my reaction is like when i watch him even though like you know he's full of shit okay probably lots of things he said is like you were sitting there this morning being like oh he's just making shit up now and like whatever okay yeah okay i already said that he's putin we're not listening to him 
because he's a reliable narrative. Okay. I'm just going to say that because people are going to get excited. But anyway, you can't help but just be impressed and feel some kind of comfort to just be listening to somebody who is sitting there with no notes, who is like talking about history and like, you know, sounds cogent. And like, he's not, you know, saying stupid shit and he's not like, you know, I don't know. It's impressive. He's impressive. And I'm not saying that I like him or his politics. Okay. I'm just like his abilities. It's like, you yeah. know, so I've got one thing, one thing. So we know he speaks perfect English. Yes. Now, why did he have an earpiece on? Was he just checking on the translator? I wonder. Like, like, see, those are things like this is for effect. Yes, he speaks English. He speaks perfect English, you know, um, but he chose to do that uh, interview in Russian. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, because, you Russian know, he can, watching Russian, the Russians are watching. And like Hidalgo said, he can't, um, you know, he can't let a foreigner, um, you know, dictate the narrative or you know he can't be seen to be like you know you know giving in or something like that right that's like a, a thing okay but like yeah that like just even down to the smallest details and exactly Hadelka also said notice whenever Tucker asked a question he would never just be direct and never just he would be he had like a thing he had like a side thing or he had like a, oh but wait or like you know yeah. But I'm sorry, go ahead. It was almost like he was, he was doing a sigh before he answered every question. <sighs> but still, like Tucker, that was, that was pretty funny. It was, the whole thing was really like it was amusing, it was entertaining, actually. Like it really was. And like, but he, but Tucker asked like some questions, like that exchange where they had that exchange. And then it was sort of like, I can't remember what, what Putin said. And then it was something sort of like uncomfortable, you know? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden Tucker, there was a bit of a pause and then Tucker was like, asked the question, did you do the Nord Stream thing or whatever? Yeah. And it was like, it was just like, it was so like, it was just such a weird moment. And just mm -hmm. like, or like, uh, just, yeah. Or like the thing about the, the, uh, the journalist, you know, like, he pushed back a few times. I mean, but I think the point was not to like, would I really resent when I watch journalists? What I really, really hate but when I watch an interview is when that journalist is trying to like run the thing. When the journalist mm -hmm. clearly has a, an idea of how that shit should be going. And like, they try to like ram that shit down everyone's throat and they interrupt and they like, you know, are like really aggressive and stuff. We used to see that, um, you know, that interview, the famous interview with Jordan Peterson and Kathy Newman. Mm -hmm. And he completely like, he completely like obliterates her, but she's trying to be like that, right? And I think that people expected Tucker to be hostile like that. And one mm -hmm. of the things I really like about Tucker is he's just like, like, even though, like, I might have different politics than him and stuff, 
Like, I just feel like this is like a guy who I could sit down and have breakfast with and we could talk about some shit and he would be just a nice guy. Well, here's the thing. You, know? you want to be hostile with a person who's known to send uranium on aircraft to... I mean, yeah. To infect, to infect uh, people he doesn't like. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, you we know? all watched Litvinenko die. Yeah. You know, like we watched that die, him die. Yeah. And we watched the thing on the spy thing that said, I can't remember, like his, you know, Litvinenko died a really, really painful death. It took like, what, two, three weeks or some amount of time, 21 days, or I can't remember. And it was like some horrible thing that happened to his his organs that it was really, really awful. So yes, and Putin did the, that. And so mm. Putin is not, a nice man but yes i mean obviously like let's not be retarded like like tucker carlson is not gonna like you know lay into putin like that i mean the whole point is to get a story right is to get mm -hmm. something you want to like invite the person to talk so i mean and you, you have talk. to <laughs> you have to massage their ego i mean you're dealing with a narcissist you already know that you're dealing with a malignant narcissist you're dealing with this is like, you know, probably when Machiavelli wrote that fucking book, this is like the fucking guy. <laughs> like, you know, you're dealing with that. So, but I don't know. I feel like, like, like I'm amused at that. At like just some Americans really were like, really, you could tell they were really, um, you know, um, I don't know. They just felt it just like they felt like slighted. They felt like some even there's a there's a tag going around. Tucker Carlson is a traitor. And, you know, oh, he was like a vehicle and they oh, he was like, a, you know, some people are calling him an agent and like it's so dumb. You know, people just have their nose at a joint because like. I don't know. Well, like, like, well it's like the, up a mirror to well, the Americans. Well, it was like the Russians uh, said. The, those, they, it's not because the lack of trying by news media to uh, get an interview with Putin. This is the first one that's just been since the, uh, the invasion of Ukraine. This is the first one that was actually accepted. You know. So, you know, I mean, there's... You know, you, you, you can't you can't fault him for trying, but I mean, you know, he is some, he has been sympathetic to uh, to to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and and uh, and he feels it, and he's said in the past that he felt it felt that Ukraine was in the wrong. So I mean, he's obviously that's probably why he got the interview. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't know enough about that to really comment it's that's not really my wheelhouse um you know and i know there's like a whole thing about nato when like you know the creep of nato and all that and i mean i don't know some people are like no that's bullshit and stuff i mean mm. i don't know but i just i also just think see that like like i remember being a kid and you know during the cold war and hearing at the kitchen table and this was like the priest used to come over every week and we'd make stew and dumplings and stuff and pie and whatever and at the end of the meal he would always say that's another meal the russians won't get 
Mm-hmm. And like the Russians were, you know, the enemy and the Russians were going to come and get us. The Russians are going to come and eat your babies and the Russians are going to blow you up. And like, mm-hmm. you know, the evil Russians and stuff. It's like, like, okay, I get that this was like, you know, a lot of like mind manipulation to impose upon us the idea that communism is bad and stuff. But you know, I don't know. I don't think I needed all of that indoctrination because I saw all the people. Like I said, literally saw people like fleeing with nothing. They like left their homes like suddenly and they left their positions and they were the professors and they were the, the, the licensed people and stuff. And they had to come here and start over and shit. So like, I already, I already remember that like, obviously they left you don't just leave your home and you leave your professional status and leave your everything behind because your life is great obviously communism really sucked right mm-hmm. so i are like already knew that i just find it really like weird i don't know i just see that there's like this thing about you know the evil russians like i just like it's kind of mm-hmm. like the chinese you know it spills over into like the actual people and it spills over into like you know scapegoating and dehumanizing and shit and i i don't know i just find that really like i find it i don't I think, like it. I, think it, I think in a way the russians scare people more than the chinese do i think the chinese uh have always been a bit more acceptable yeah i was um, reading this, this book um about the rape of German women after, like, when, after the fall of the Third Reich. Um, and so it was like, you know, when the, everything was, camps were being liberated and the allies had, you know, closed in and stuff. And um, obviously, you know, like, that's just something that happens, right? Rape is something that happens during the war. And it was this book that was written in, like, it was based on sort of like, you know, reports that were made to police stations and like, um, you know, like um, just documentation and stuff. And it was really fascinating. They said, you know, there's this narrative um, that it was the it was the Russian soldiers that were doing it. Um, and, you know, oh, no, it wasn't like the Western soldiers that were doing it. And so what they were talking about, you know, how that that's kind of like you know there's a bit of um bigotry in the in the perception of that because Mm. like it was equally all soldiers like it wasn't like the russians were more rapey and evil and barbaric you know than the like the british soldiers or the american soldiers like they all were we know that like men in war and stuff like this isn't a justification of rape. I'm going to say that because someone's going to freak out and write me a hate note or something. But you know, when you put human beings in those situations, like they behave, they behave badly, right? And and um, you know, that was like something that was mentioned in that, like that there was a lot of like you know, like bigotry and like you know stuff, racism against um. The Russians, mm-hmm. right? Oh, it's called, I'm looking at it now. It's called Crimes Unspoken, Rape of German Women at the End of the Second World War, Miriam Gebhardt. It's a book written by a German scholar and they translated it. And uh okay, 
So I'll just read you the thing because it make it makes more sense. In Crimes Unspoken, the rape of German women at the end of the Second World War, uh, Miriam Gebhardt presents readers with a detailed and carefully researched account of the extent of sexual violence perpetrated by allied forces against German women. Recent discussion has focused primarily on assaults committed by Soviet troops, but the author argues that this does not present, represent the whole picture. Um, Catherine Williams recommends this test. Okay, so she mm -hmm. talks about how, like, it's not just the Soviet troops. Um, mm -hmm. And so um, historical studies have told us that over 2 million women were raped by Soviet troops when the Red Army liberated Berlin in 1945. And some pedantry about numbers aside, it is certainly true many thousands of women were assaulted by those occupying forces. However, Gebhardt argues that we must reframe our prejudices when confronting the topic, which is hereto offered a dubious platform for more moralists. The Germans got what they deserved and nationalists, the Russians were entirely to blame. Critics of attempts to bring the rape of German women by allied forces into a wider discussion have argued that by, so, you know, she talks of oh, women raped by <laughs> the Soviet troops, the author argues were at least, okay. A so she's, you know, sort of um, trying to expand the notion that it wasn't just, you know, the Soviets and, uh, okay, so these are valuable historical accounts, but Gebhardt argues that they have in, in part helped to reinforce the notion that Soviet soldiers were the sole perpetrators of rape during this time. Um, Crimes Unspoken aims to unpack these misconceptions and generalizations and, and covers the degree to which women found themselves further victimized by unsympathetic doctors, social workers, and legal authorities. So she's sort of, um, she interviewed um, very, a lot of women and she looked at some accounts and um, she said uh, that, you know, a lot of the narratives were um, manipulated to serve ideological ends. So, you know, like there's that, you know, like Russians aren't exactly considered to be European, right? Because part of Asia, Russia is in Asia, right? Yeah, I guess, I guess in one way, because the Russians are seen as the enemy, after World War II, the, the Russians are sort of the enemy. So it was easy to portray them as mass rapists and stuff like that. Yeah. But the allies, it's a trickier question. It's probably a subject that's um it's only just be that you can really bring out you know uh i noticed that in in the, the film fury uh about the, the about the year uh, the sherman tank crew mm -hmm. and um and they have a scene in that film where there's a couple of guys in the tank crew who want to rape the german women and and these german women are serving them lunch and tea to the other guys and and there's a conf confrontation. It's very tense, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, because um, the other guys are seeing these women as being hospitable and and stuff, and, and the other two guys just see them as, you know, meat. <laughs> exactly. You know. Well, and you know, there's like you know the whole there's like you know, there is like, you know, the psychology of war that like Gwyn Dyer and, you know, um, John Spencer and others have written about, right? 
um, that like when you put a human being, you put a male, because that's mostly who is forced into those situations. When you put men into those settings, like in inflict, you know, that kind of thing, you know, those kinds of like horrors on them and hardship and put them into that kind of society, like they're going to behave, you know, I mean, like, you know, I don't know. I mean, so like, that's why rape, that's why war is bad because, you know, lots of people suffer because people behave badly. People just lose their moral compass and they lose their, like we talked about, like we talk about on Sunday with Lee, their, their, um, you know, their ethics chip gets destroyed or something. Right. So like, anyway, I just think that there's a lot of like, like the Russians are the enemy and stuff. And I like find that fascinating. I see that there's some of that in there and some unwillingness to humanize Putin and also like rage at seeing Putin humanized, you know, like, or even Tucker humanized Tucker. Yeah, like people are like, oh, Tucker didn't even push back. Tucker just let him uh, run the interview. He just let him say whatever he wanted. Well, um, well, actually, well, actually, there's three points. There's three parts where he does make. Uh, thing. One is uh, the first time where he does, where Putin doesn't answer. He deflects the whole conversation to something else. Mm -hmm. Because he's obviously so uncomfortable with answering that question, mm -hmm. uh, and then the uh, the second time was with the um, who's who's responsible for for the uh, the pipeline, mm -hmm. and then the third one was asking for the guy Wall Street guy to be released. Mm -hmm. You know, so I mean, yeah, okay, two hours, and uh, you know, was it an engaging interview back and forth? No, but how could it? How could it be? You know. I think it was engaging because watching them spar, like, like you watched, you watch interviews like that, not like I said, you don't watch them because it's fact finding or because you think you want to hear the guy's story. It's not like a narrative thing. You do like, you do hear it for the story, but it's not because you expect a truthful thing. Like it's not a reliable narrator thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is like, you know, if, I mean, haven't there been times when I can't remember who, but I'm sure it was somebody um, interviewed the crown prince of Saudi Arabia and hasn't there been like in the past, like, you know, people tried interviewing Idi Amin and like people mm -hmm. interviewed Gaddafi and like, I mean, um, hello, when you interview a guy like that, do you really think he's like you're getting like I'm gonna have a truthful heart to heart conversation with like Muammar Gaddafi or like Idi Amin, or because you know Vladimir Putin's kind of in the same category of human? Okay, we're, we're talking to a dictator. He's a smart dictator, and he's you know buff and shit. You know he doesn't look half bad, right? You know, mm -hmm. he's knows some languages and, you know, you could intellectually spar with him. You could probably have a conversation with him. You could have like a, 
meal with him, you probably would have a great time. He probably, he sounds like he's got like a real fucking <laughs> kind of weird sense of humor that might be like interesting. Okay, as a person, like, but he's still a dictator. He's still a dictator and he's still responsible for the new reign, the, you know, the guy who died of the polonium or whatever and like he's not a nice nice man and so that makes people uncomfortable i don't know what can you do but i think like i don't know i'm not interested in like looking at people through a political lens anymore because i don't really think that's helpful and i mean i don't have any views on ukraine or anything like that like i don't know enough about it so i'm like i don't like i'm just not going to say anything um, you know, like I've like, I think some of his history about how Ukraine, you know, the Ukrainian nation is like a made up nation. And like, you know, that was just some things that some people made up. I think that's probably bullshit. You know, that's just him floating his, his story. I don't know. So Dorothy Thompson. Who's that? So, ah, Dr. Thompson. She was an um, American journalist, in, uh, especially in the 1930s and stuff. And uh, and one of the uh, most famous interviews was Adolf Hitler. <laughs> so, so um, unfortunately for Hitler, he didn't. He failed to. Uh, understand that she had a red men camp and had a, had very strong opinions on it <laughs> but he didn't realize that when she interviewed him oops so, yeah and so so he consented to meeting with her and uh, it was just before the uh, the Nazi party won the elections in March 1932 okay and uh, so, anyway, the, the 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 she did make a book about about it. Well, she wrote a book about him. Oh, it wasn't a flattering book, I don't imagine. Was uh, it? Apparently, it wasn't fat flattering for either of them. <laughs> See, I really appreciate the way he did this interview because, like, I don't like the trying to run like I don't like trying to make it a narrative like I don't like it when the journalist tries to like be you know all bitchy like that and you know get all like you know snarky and uppity and you know smart ass and shit I mean you know come on like can we like grow up I hate that. I just like, I find that just really like hostile and like, it just really turns me off and it really irritates me um, because like, I want to hear what the person, the interviewee is saying, like you ask the question and the answer, even if it's not truthful, mm -hmm. is still instructive. Every single thing that happened in that two hours was instructive like like I said not because of specifically what he said tells me like you know what happened because we already know that a lot of shit is you know like he probably does that thing that 
you know, information spinners do where they put a little bit of seed of truth, you know, and they put some lies around it. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. But even still, like we just said the way he, you know, he was sitting in the thing in the chair and the way he would, you know, like deflect questions and, you know, and stuff. I don't know. Just the way, like, it was just entertaining. Like, I don't know. It was just, yeah. Like, I just think, wow, I'm really impressed. Like, like, I'm just impressed with Tucker. Like, I really, like, appreciate the fact that he didn't try to push, like, to try to, like, he pushed back as much as he thought he could with Vladimir Putin, okay? Um, but, like, I really think that, like, he found the right balance because I don't think that that was going to be a thing where you're going to, like, you know, have an intellectual sparring match with, Putin and think you're going to win and best him. I mean, he did ask a few questions, but I think we understand, you know, we got what he wanted us to hear. I mean, let's just say we got a picture of his mind. Mm -hmm. I think that's helpful. I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's helpful to, if you consider somebody your enemy, it's helpful to see like what their point of view is and stuff. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because the, you see a lot of people, uh, I just been reading, you know, Tucker's become sort of a joke and people are saying, oh, yeah, he's, you know, maybe he was house hunting in Moscow, <laughs> you know. But the thing is, he, this, this broadcast on the Tucker Carlson network, he's just cemented that network as a, as a legit media entity. Like he scooped the legacy media. Yeah. Like he got a fucking scoop. Yeah, big time. The biggest scoop in the big into this world. Like that's like a major superpower leader that he interviewed. And one and one that's been turning down journalists since uh, the invasion. And that I don't know if it's true, but like that he was. Um, I don't know if this is a spin or something, but that he was a bit like, you know, not happy with it, the interview or something like that, which I think if, if Putin is not happy with it, it means, you know, because he didn't get to, um, you know, um, spin himself as, as much as he wanted. Mm -hmm. So I think that's positive. I think that that's like, it, sh it shows that like, it was successful. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah. But uh, but but would 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 a narcissist ever be happy with an interview? Probably not. No, I mean, not oh. unless the person was like really unless, like not, totally. Not unless they're interviewing them a mirror, you know. Exactly. Unless the person was like you know giving them ridiculous praise and you yeah. know like totally like you know, mm. indulging mm. them or whatever, yeah. which I don't think he was. I think that Tucker just letting him rant go on and on was not, you know, like just, you know, being a simp or whatever. I think it was just, you know, trying to understand, like, because if you looked at Tucker, when they showed Tucker's face, when he was listening, like, like it's the face and the expression and the body language of somebody who's truly listening. Like who is really, te who is really 
hooked in and who isn't necessarily thinking, oh, okay, what does this mean? What should I say? Not, you know, thinking about themselves, who is really like engaged and trying to like listen. Like that's what I saw, like saw that he is really good at connecting with his person that he's interviewing. You know, well, let's face it, he's he's just, he's for better or worse, he's successfully interviewed Trump, who's probably one of the hardest people to interview in the world. <laughs> you know. Mm. I can't imagine someone more difficult, uh, you know, because he just absolutely goes off tangent, right? So, uh, so you know, he's probably one of the few people who could in do an interview like this and kind of pull it off, I think, for better or worse, you know. Mm. Uh, it's interesting about the sidestepping of issues, though, because uh, I'm reading about the Adolf Hitler interview. Mm-hmm. And apparently, uh, he sidestepped all her questions except for one. Because hmm. he was one? so. It, it, I, I'd have to read the book. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, where she went wrong was um, um, she published this book after the meeting, and uh, she she put so much emphasis on the fact that he would never be a world leader. Oh, oops. Yeah, and that's why. Yeah. It's sort of to discredit herself as much as him. Damn. Yeah. I saw, um, or I was looking up um, after I was listening to the EDM Mean story. I um, was looking up. Uh, I don't even know how I came across this, but it was a uh, a clip of Barbara From. Remember Barbara From? Yeah. And she was trying to uh, get an interview with uh, Idi Amin. So she called the palace and it's like an archived clip of her trying to call Idi Amin. And it's the fucking funniest thing ever. And I can't even remember what she was asking him about, but something. And it was like sassy and like challenging, whatever, right? And he was so funny. He was like calling her names and just like, you know, stonewalling her and like reframing and redirecting and distracting. And then he would hang up and then she called back and then he, it was obviously him. And then he said that he was somebody else. And it was just so funny. She called a few times and then it was like, you know, I don't know. It was like, you know, 15 minute clip or something. And it was damn funniest thing. It was like, it was like, if you didn't know this was like real, you would think it was like a Saturday Night Live thing or something. It's like, like, I don't know. How do you, like, I pro- hats off to journalists who have to interview these narcissists. Like, because mm. it's, a, it, you're like, it's, it's like, it's like you're trying to interview your toddler. Yeah. You know? Well, well I mean, people interview serial killers, you know, they that's the and same that, thing you're being a, manipulated and there's, a, and there's a reason for that you know yeah but and, see you're not okay go ahead yeah and um and, you know and uh, i think the i think it was the fbi who started the interviews uh interviewing them uh, so uh, you know and that's where a lot of where their profiling comes from mm. having his interview with people like that so I mean, how how do you profile crazy world leaders? You know, well, you got to interview them. You know, you got to speak to them. Exactly. When I was in psych, and uh, when I was at like Selkirk, 
mental health asylums, Selkirk Asylum or Selkirk Mental Health Center, whatever. And uh, I was sitting uh, the inter, you know, the interviews that the psychiatrists would do with like it was the acute ward, so it was like people who come from the street or from the community, and so they would be like absolutely like insane. It'd be fucking crazy, and they would be there stabilized, and they would get sent home or sent to another building or whatever. So you know, we would interview them, and you're obviously again. You're not doing a psychiatric interview because you want like the person to tell you accurately what's happening. Like you ask the questions because like how they, how they, how they answer and how they react when you ask the question is going to tell you about their behavior and their capacity to reason and stuff. It's not about like, you know, the actual content or accuracy of their answer. It's like, like people are getting stuck on the fact of, oh, he was wrong. He said this and this is wrong and he's lying. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> you can have a brownie now. Like, it's not about that. You know what I mean? Like, like this is how we can understand like this guy. Like how long is like, it's been like 25 years. This guy has been like hanging on to power. He changed the constitution and he did a bunch of shit every time he, you know, he wants to stay in power. He does another thing to hang on to power. Well, how do we like, maybe we should try to understand what makes this guy tick. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So probably the, reason he chose Carlson is because Carlson has been very against the the Ukrainian funding mm -hmm. from day one. Mm -hmm. You know. And that's really where Putin's uh acts are grinding. And you can see that because he had that sort of political message which I felt was more for Americans than anybody else. Yes. Sort of election message. I think yeah. that he, I can see why Americans would be mad. I think justifiably so. Um, because I think that you're right. That was an election thing. But more so, even more before that, I mean, aren't they doing some kind of vote on like the U aid to the Ukraine or something? To, for yeah, just, it just failed. So I think that that, like, he's also trying to influence that situation. Like, you know, let's face it, he has a political motivation. He's not just, you know, submitting himself to the database of, you know, shitty men so we can, you know, expand our profiling capacity. I mean, he obviously picked Tucker and and for reasons. So, yes, I mean, if you want to characterize that as, you know, Tucker is helping Russia because he doesn't agree that this America should be in the Ukraine. Okay. Mm. You know, I guess, um, you know, I mm. mean, I, sorry, go ahead. Mm. Um, so I'm just, I'm just reading something. Okay. Um, so I'll fact, just to fact check on the interview. Okay. I'm just, uh, I just, I'm like observing neutrally 
that like this is like in this global era you know it becomes more obvious that everybody is trying to fuck with everyone else's shit like like we're taught we are all having this discussion in each country you know respective country of foreign interference like america you know the whole they just went through their whole thing with oh did russia you know uh fix you know influence the election and you know in canada we've been trying to have this discussion about this ccp you know and you know influencing the election and then before that oh you know Leeds now was funded by tides foundation which was you know at the time they were american so rich american people are sending money you know like like it's becoming increasingly more obvious to us that like there's things happening behind the scenes and that we are not our vote is not just the only thing running shit and i think it makes us a bit like cranky but I mean, like, I think that's always been happening. Like, there always has been, you know, these kinds of things, you know, smoothing the wheel or, like, whatever, making these things happen and influencing happen and talking to people or, you know, getting your votes or coercing or trying to change people's minds. I don't know. Like, I'm just being, like, stepping outside of it and thinking about <clears throat> excuse me um you know how america basically that's their foreign policy is uh like oh which democratically elected government can we overthrow so we can you know like i'm being a bit facetious but not really it's not an exaggeration to say that like they just trot around the world and they just depose people and they just put other people in and they don't think about you know they treat people like Lego. They treat countries like Legos. Oh, we'll just take this piece out, <clears throat> excuse me, and we'll just put another one in and everyone will be fine. And so, okay, now they are like in this situation where now it's being done to them. And I don't know. So so the one thing when we were watching the interview, there was a part really stuck out for for, for me, was uh, when Putin talked about how Poland had um, basically forced Hitler's hand to, uh -huh. yeah. If you if you turn this around, basically you're saying Hitler didn't really want to, but he was forced to start the Second World War. Yeah, that's kind of gaslight because you know, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, this is this is um, the thing with his of Hitler's invasions. They weren't pre preempted. They all, you know, I think the last one where he he said he was going to before he did it was probably uh, Czechoslovakia. Mm -hmm. You know, when it came to Poland, they just they just lifted up the barriers and crossed over the border. You know, yeah, you know. Uh, you know, the same with the invasion of Russia. Uh, they, just, they just went in, they didn't declare war. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, he certainly had his own version of history. Um, thing, history. Yeah. Yeah. It'll, be, it'll be interesting because he has that 30 minute ramble about Russian history. 
Mm -hmm. It'd be interesting to see a scholar of Russian history. Yeah, there's a that. few, and a lot of people are debunking his, his um, his timeline, his timeline, and whatever. Yeah, and but I, I mean, of, I said at the time that I probably uh, he's probably making half of that stuff up. Yeah. But you know, like, like he's not the only one that makes shit up. Oh, I know. Like you know, there's like in the other war over there, um. Like, there's just one side that's making stuff up. I mean, come on, the Arabs make things up all the time. You know, the Palestinian narrative is, like, so, like, you know, there's a name for it. We have, like, it's, like, called Pollywood. I mean, mm -hmm. like, it's not like, like Vladimir Putin's the only person on the planet who's making shit up, okay? I don't know. I mean... Like, I think we already know that. And, but yeah, it's interesting just to see, like, I don't know. It just makes me, one, makes me wonder, like, when I was listening to the thing about Idi Amin, and they would have clips, you know, sound clips. Mm -hmm. And some of the shit this guy said, it's like, what the? Like, you are, like, you are not okay. Like, this guy was, like, psychotic. He was, like, he was, like, removed from reality. Like, like, he was, like, seriously deranged. <laughs> Just, like, how could you take this guy seriously? Like, sitting, if you were, like, had to, like, you know, be at a world leader meeting with a fucking guy. And, like, or, like, the other dude, he used to walk around with his blanket or whatever it's called sorry i'm being irreverent um gaddafi you know we used to trot around with yeah, this yeah. fucking thing and shit i mean like come on like it's like these are like like they're they're showmen <laughs> it's like it's like okay are you done doing your drama monologue act now can we like have a serious conversation it's like it's i don't know it's so weird. Like, it fascinates me. And I just want to, like, watch more interviews like that. I wish, like, like I want there to be more dictator interviews. Because I think this is just a fascinating exercise. Just to see, like, how they're so, like, like boldly lying. Like, he's intelligent and he speaks three languages. So he obviously knows what the truth, what the history is. Like, you know, he went to all the trouble of having the earpiece and whatever to make it look, you know, like he needs the translation when he knows all the languages and shit. And he totally gave like this totally whack narrative of like World War Two and some other things. He obviously knows what the real history is. Hmm. Like that fascinates me. Like what? Like, like I used to ask Logan, like, like. What is going through your head? Like, 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 what motivates you to think that or do that? Like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's just okay. So here's a uh, Sergi Radchenko, a historian at John Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies. Okay, talking about Putin's historical claims. Okay, fact checking Vladimir so, Putin. It's a complete falsehood. Vlad's full of shit. All right. Vlad's full of shit. 
Uh, he is trying to use certain historical facts to construct a state-centered narrative that would favor Russia as opposed to any alternative agglomerations. Well, that's kind of what Hidalgo said, that he's, you know, the narrative and stuff, right? Yeah. Um, the narrative, Putin flipping the narrative, peace was almost done, Boris Johnson got in the way, denazification is one agreement away, war will stop, but only if America stops funding it. Like, these are, these, as these are strategies, you know, the whole like, oh, yes, well, you know, and I like in the interview, he would be like, oh, we've always been willing, you know, we've always been willing, but you know, no one ever listens to us. And like, like the whole like victimhood thing and like, you know, the whole like playing innocent thing and shit, you know, like this is like what the, uh, the Palestinians do, you know, and it's kind of like, it's like a, it's like a strategy. Like it's like a, so I don't know. It's like the narcissist strategy to like deflect any kind of responsibility or something. Yeah. So, uh, so, so here's another factor because, because uh, the Putin was claiming that the uh, the land south of South Ukraine, uh, then when they captured them from the Ottomans, that the people there were Russians, but they weren't. They weren't okay. Russians at all, so you know, mm. you know the basically, you know, so uh, so historically, Russia has not been part of that area at all. So yeah, so he's just making stuff shut stuff up. So, but you know what, like that stuff he just made up for his own people. Because don't forget, he's speaking in Russian, not for the Americans. The he's speaking in Russian for the Russians. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that like there's a few, like he's got a strategy of how he, 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 he played that. First of all, he, he, he did it in Russia. And then he made up all that shit about history you know, and made law, oh, you know, we're always wanting peace and oh, but, you know, our efforts are thwarted and oh, I said it should be this way, but oh, they said no. And then, you know, like, but he's doing that for his people. Like that's a narrative that he wants his people to hear. Like mm -hmm. that's what he's telling his people, you know? So it's like, you know what, that's really interesting. It's kind of an interesting, like, uh, window into, like, how he's indoctrinating or, you know, whatever we are calling it, manipulating his own people. Mm -hmm. Because we know that the Russians are, like, masters of, like, narrative manip creation and you know manipulation i mean hello they created the like zion the not the uh protocol of the elders of zion you know like that shit comes from the that shit comes from them and that's like over 100 years old that's still still going strong like so like maybe that's a way to look at it like like okay all, all these things are wrong i'm so dumb i don't even know all the ways that they're wrong right so i just mm -hmm. have to trust people 
um, you know, choose people to trust and fact check myself. But it's interesting to see that, first of all, he's giving this interview in Russian. And then secondly, he's making up this narrative, you know, like, so like, he's still being a world leader. Like he's, this is still like a thing that he's doing, like, not just, you know, to talk to like Amer the West, but also to talk to his own people, right? Right? Mm -hmm. So, um, here's the, the interesting thing is, is, so we've got on one side, we've got one, world leaders constantly being accused of making his own narrative up. Um, being interviewed by a journalist who's being accused of making up his own news. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I mean, you know, I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's constantly being accused of misinformation and conspiracy theories and 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 he's you know so so it's kind of interesting to get two people like that in the same room. But see, the thing with that is, like, um, you can't just say okay, well, because you know he's got like a really loose grip, loose, um, uh, grip of, you know, the truth and facts that he's always misrepresenting the truth because sometimes um, like he's really like amazingly accurate. Um, so, you know, but yeah, I mean, I know you gotta be like, okay, like who, uh, who is this like who, like who like you got to consider who it is and consider how much you should credence you should give to what you know they say but you know yeah i don't always agree with everything he says and i don't you know i'm not like a particular fan but i um I've heard like a clip i actually didn't even really like him and then i heard a clip of a speech um that he gave something i just was cruising through um twitter and i heard this speech and i can't even remember what it was he was giving some speech and it was like i was really impressed it sounded really intelligent and like really like you know compassionate and like not at all like you know the smarmy polyester suit full of shit you know um Tucker press core, um, Trump press core, you know, personality that I thought that he was right. Mm -hmm. And so then like, I've like started to listen to him, you know, talk and stuff. And even though I don't agree with a lot of what he says, like, um, he's normal. He doesn't think that, um, he doesn't think that, uh, women have penises. Um, and he doesn't think that, you know, um, men should compete in female sports so you know already i like him 
Um, but like, I just am seeing like the way he's unfairly, you know, categorized because like, I've like, I didn't like, I've decided that I didn't like him and I was going to go with everyone else. Oh, Tucker Carlson's evil. You know, he's like that Fox news guy. And then I heard that, you know, speech that he gave. Okay. It was for the heritage foundation and people are going to be like, Oh, that's so far right. But the point is the speech that he was giving was really like impressive. I was like, wow, he's like, not that he's pretty cool. So like, I don't know. I think there's this danger of like listening to the um, people become almost caricaturized and mythologized. And then it's like, oh yeah, Tucker Carlson's a traitor or, oh yeah, you know, he's like a mega, you know, whatever he's, you know, oh, he interviewed Trump. He's far right. Or like, I just think it's, it's almost, we do ourselves a disfavor to like, listen to these things and <clears throat> excuse me and discount them. So like, I'm kind of glad I watched it. It's not like, I don't really care like about that mm -hmm. issue, but like, I think it's instructive. Like, and also like it, like he, like what I really like, I think I said this and I'm repeating myself. I just, I'm amused by the way he was like Tucker Carlson's like, you know, leaning in and like, he was really concentrating on it and like really listening and stuff. And sometimes like, like almost like, um, in disbelief, you know, <laughs> I don't imagine that Tucker, uh, is really great at poker or if he is, he needs to cover his face. What do you think? What else? Speak. Yeah, I think that's about it, isn't it? What do you say? Do we want to talk about anything else? What about this bell thing? Oh, the bell thing. Mm. It's yeah. Um, I think I think I think well, Bell Canada. Yeah, it's a is it definitely a blow to another blow to media uh, representation in Canada. Uh, it's like there's a war on the small local radio stations and the small newspapers and and uh, even even news outlets on the internet. It's like our news has been taken away from us. Well, they tried that. I don't um, exactly know what they were doing with that stupid Bill C. <clears throat> their whole, you know, trying to restructure the media industry with all their, you know, um, and their war with Google and Facebook and shit. Um, I I think that like for like at least at least twenty years, um, it's been like really bad to see um, like the news become corporatized, like when like you know one company owns the Vancouver Sun and the Vancouver Province, the two main newspapers in the city i think that's kind of like a problem you know what i mean when like one company owns like a bunch of newspapers everywhere like mm -hmm. i like like how is that like what does that say for like the media and for like independent like whatever and then you know when you start to have conglomerates then like the media the local news is going to suffer well, I mean, is local news is like the most important thing. People need to know what's happening in their communities and shit, right? Yeah. And the other thing that I found really interesting was 
that, you know, this was like this big shock. It was announced and then all the politicians came out and they were like, oh, this is a bullshit and I'm really mad and blah, blah, blah. And then this morning it, it was revealed that uh, Bell is a uh, federally regulated um, company and so therefore it adheres to the federal labor standards, which says says that um, it had to give a 16 weeks notice if it was going to do a group a group layoff that is more than 50 employees. So the minister has had 16 weeks notice. So the government already knew four months ago that this was going to happen. So all of their, um, you know, drama and their, you know, being angry and shit was just made up. Like Justin Trudeau being all upset and everybody, you know, they knew. They had to know. They were notified. Well, I guess, I guess in a way, you think about it, it's like uh, they knew there was going to be backlash. And, uh, and it's like... It's almost like the person farting in the room and going, "Oh my God, who did that?" But you know what that is, uh, all... you know, and you know, they, so they've known about it and they knew there was going to be people going, "Oh my God, how could you do this?" Blah blah blah, and they basically deflected all the blame to Bell, <laughs> you know. But you know what that whole thing, you know, the oh my God, you know, the outrage. And the person who did it is like the most animated. I mean, that's kind of like so predictable. Let's mm -hmm. so like, I'm sorry, Freud. I'm I'm Freud is like my almost my other boyfriend or something. <laughs> this is my other boyfriend, Freud. Um, like he was right with projection. That's such projection when you're the one that's done it and you're protesting the loudest or you're being the most, you know, outraged about it. Like that's such just, I mean, yeah. you know, so like going back to Putin and, and Tucker Carlson, the people that I observed on uh, X that were the most uh, outraged and upset were like, you know, American, like people connected to this intelligence community and like, you know, people that have worked in the White House and people like that worked at that high level and stuff, right? They feel a bit offended, you know, they feel a bit whatever. And it's really funny because like I said, I just see America as being like that. Like I see them as being dishonest and pretending oh we're free and welcome and we're tolerant and free expression and democracy and they always talk about democracy and shit and they subvert democracy hmm. i mean that's their that is their foreign policy to subvert democracy they don't say that they say oh we're spreading freedom but I mean, like when you've gone and you've deposed this great guy who's like democratically elected and you've deposed him because he's a Marxist and you put in some dictator, like, I don't think you've really promoted and plunged the country into like, you know, 30 years of hardship. I don't think you've really promoted anyone's freedom. 
like mm-hmm. you know and that's like you know talking about my dad's country Guyana but I mean that could be the story of like you know many other countries they went around and they did that right yeah so like I see like I'm sort of like I just am a bit like cynical about seeing all these people who are mad you know that like they as they say Putin was given a platform to spread his misinformation and um you know I spoke to uh had that digital beer the other night with uh Theo and Theo's of the of the uh opinion that you know words like disinformation are like sort of like red flags you know he doesn't really he's hostile to that kind of characterization right because he thinks already that's a manipulation just to make that associate to you know use such an emotionally loaded word or like you know like 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 a mind fucking word like that right and i was like oh i don't know about that but now that i see this reaction of like you know former cia people and you know intelligence people in you know in the intelligence world having like meltdowns over this fucking interview like i really like it makes me see that in a way this was kind of like a mirror held up to america too Mm-hmm. you know like it was like this is who you are also right even though he was like you know deflecting and saying oh you know look at i'm great and you guys suck and that's how come we're like this right mm-hmm. i mean i think like the point is the middle ground to you know this is the fact that america like you know isn't isn't is also a bad faith actor Mm-hmm. right you have two bad faith actors like you know i mean yeah yeah if you look at american foreign policy it's like you know they've really helped create the whole middle east situation if, um you know it's like 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 45 45 years ago what were they doing in iran like that whole situation in Iran was sort of like not exactly helped by them, you know, like they just, it's like when you keep fixing something and fixing something and fixing something, and then you fuck, you're like, oh, oops, I broke it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you watch that, those documentaries, like the one about our men in Tehran, and it's, it's really about, you know, how Canada um got those passports so that the uh america for the americans so that they could get out but it does talk a little bit uh about um you know the conditions leading up to it and stuff and like the americans like the west like or whatever like like they gave the the ayatollah way too much like they just gave him way too much leeway. Like mm-hmm. everyone just trusted him way too much. And like, you know, look at we're in year 45 and that decision, we're still paying for it. And look at even let's go back further than that. Who was it that stopped the Nuremberg trials 
okay, they had the Nuremberg trials and they were going to continue and have Nazi trials. Who decided they got bored with the Nazi trials? They didn't want to have Nazi trials anymore. America. America decided they didn't want to keep having trials for Nazis. They just wanted, everyone just wanted to move on. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that, you know, we have the the Himmler's daughter, the uh, Gudrun uh, uh, Burke, Bird, Bird, I can't remember her name, but her last name, but, um, and her organization that she started, um, Stille Hilte, and, you know, helping all the Nazis escape and shit. And then, oh, some of the Nazis went to Egypt and then, oh, they, they you know, Hitler was still popular there. And then, so all Nazism gets sort of preserved. It gets fused with Islam. Oh, the PLO gets formed. Oh, look it, here we are today. Like, you know, these decisions have consequences because we never fix anything because somebody decided, oh, okay, it's like, you know, when your kid is playing and they go from room to room and they have all these toys and there's like toys in every room and shit. And it's like that. And we've got all this fucking mess everywhere and this mess everywhere. And it's like, oh, the Russians are evil. The Palestinians are evil. The Arabs are evil. It's like, maybe you should <laughs> stop fucking with everyone's shit and sit down and fix something. I don't know. That's how I see it. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Ah, definitely. Yeah. Um, mm. <laughs> oh, oh, we talked so much. <laughs> Are we done? I think we're done. Yeah. It's like, yeah, an hour and a half we've been talking. Okay. Well, I don't know. I think that, um, like, I, I'm probably going to watch that interview a couple, a few more times because it's just so amusing. And like, like he's like Vladimir Putin's boring. Okay. He's boring. And I really have trouble like focusing on what he's saying. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? it's kind of like the Charlie Brown adults with the blah, 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 blah. Right. But I just find it like the way he behaves, just like, I just can't get enough of it. I don't know. I don't know what that says about me, but. Maybe, maybe, or maybe this is the thing with these world leaders is like they don't seem very like very remarkable people when you put them in alone in a room kind of thing you know it's just they're like it's like when you go to see a um a stand-up comedian or something you know where you go see like a you know like a performer you go see like spoken word performers or something like i think these are performers this is like a performance this isn't like i said it's not a fact seeking exercise i don't expect to get facts from this in fact i'm not like you know i listened a bit but when he was you know giving his big explanation about why he invaded russia why he invaded ukraine and how ukraine didn't exist and you know it was all Russian in any way and blah, blah, blah. Like I was like, what? But anyway, I think that people are overreacting. I think this was like, this is like a good source of information and I don't know. Mm -hmm. 
and oh this thing about oh he's not a journalist he's like his whatever i mean i don't know <laughs> anyway yeah i think worse journalistic yeah i mean but you know i mean you know how can, how can you say somebody's not a journalist based on how they conduct the interview it's not up to your standards. I mean, that doesn't make them not a journalist. It just makes them a, a bad journalist or it makes them a, you know, not an exciting journalist, but, but there's not journalists. Well, you remember yeah. the whole thing with um, David Menzies and the uh, Christian Friedland, and uh, he asked her why the IRGC wasn't listed and uh, her bodyguard uh, slammed him into the yeah, wall. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so people were like, oh, you know, she's like, she's been the editor of the Financial Post and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he's just like a rebel news reporter. He's not a real journalist, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, what's really funny about that. He yeah. actually did get a degree in journalism from Ryerson. And she has like degrees in Russian history or some fucking thing. So they were like, Menzoid's not a real journalist. And he was like, well, I don't know what you mean by a real journalist, but he like has like, he's got, that's what he went to school to study. So well, I don't well, know. Well, it's a bit like Trump, you know, you, you read something in the news he doesn't like, and then you can say, it's it fake is. news. <laughs> yeah. and he, like when that's an interesting thing, he started that. And like I like my maybe I'm revising history, but I sort of feel like the whole weirdness with the media started with him saying fake news. Yeah. Well, he didn't start it. Lots of people, especially in the anti-establishment, mm -hmm. said the news is fake, and that was very common. But he's the first person to politicize. Yeah. The idea that news is fake to their advantage. I think he's the one that sort of started um, to create this mm. suspicion in the mass, in the masses of um, journalism. I think that he's the one that sort of instigated the hostility that mm. people have, which is unfortunate. Mm. It's almost like a subversion of democracy to get, because that's one thing. I don't remember who it was, but one of the things they said was one of the um, strategies of like propagandists, like, you know, Chinese or Russian or whatever, is to um, undercut or undermine <clears throat> or try to diminish or lessen the public's trust in like institutions like in society so like they don't trust their government they don't trust the legal system they don't trust the media they don't trust each other and that's so the seeds of of like you know suspicion and stuff so it makes me you know makes me think that like that that's sort of something that he set out to do like you know that's sort of how I like, you know, the era of him and Trump and Trudeau to a lesser degree, like they set out to like undermine, you know, 
medium. Yeah. 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 Well, it makes sense in a way. I mean, if you if if you portray everything as fake, 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 then you can lie through your teeth. It doesn't matter anymore, does it? And then you become a dictator. Like, you know, then you become like the Ayatollah who's got like his special, you know, approved mm -hmm. thing. And there's like one, you know, thing and or like North Korea where they have like one channel and you know, yes, there's like one media. information. Yeah. Then you sound like a Ayn Rand, you know, you sound like Anthem, and it's like, you know, the Council of whatever, and it's like the Council of Knowledge decides what it is, whatever is knowledge. It's whatever those, you know, let's say there's 12 people. It's whatever those 12 people decide should be information, is information. Yeah. I mean, that's then that's what you have. And we almost have that in Canada. And it's really unfortunate that W5 was canceled because that is really important. I mean, I haven't been following, you know, ever since, uh, you know, all of the legacy media decided that they would promote the lie that men can be women. I just ignore them now. But like, I remember that that was like a really important show that they broke some really great stories and we need like investigative journalism. So that's like really sad that they decided to pay their shareholders higher dividends at the expense of like investigative journalism at a time when a media is <laughs> like like on life support that's mm -hmm. kind of crappy and they got 40 million dollar a prize from uh, skippy for doing that like i think that's a bit shitty but i don't know yeah definitely anyway Yeah, the truth is out there, as they say. And you know something mm -hmm. that's really weird? What? All of this, what's happened in this time is all of these people that I thought were like bad or like, you know, whatever, are like turning out to be like nice. And I should have not listened to the people that said, oh yeah, that person is whatever. Like the other one, okay, I already said about Tucker Carlson that I'm sort of, you know, pleasantly impressed when I heard, you know, and learned for myself. The other person who's kind of impressing me is Ezra Levant, you know, Rebel Media. Like, mm -hmm. like, <laughs> some people just hate, you know, you know, he's like, like a really controversial character and some people just were like, they can't stand him, but like for some of the things that he's doing for the ways that he's challenging you know doing legal challenges and like the way he's run his media company to like cover things that aren't you know being covered by other you know um outlets like you have to be impressed by that and like i, I it makes me think that there's this prejudice that we have of that segment of conservative people you know like the reform people mm -hmm. it's kind of like in the states you know like the people from the appalachia and you know how there's a prejudice around that the people right, from the right. appalachia and i it almost feels like the the people from you know the like reform you know based like conservative like alberta conservatives you know um it feels like there's a similar kind of prejudice around those people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I really feel like that's kind of like the classism 
um, in our, our regionalism in our country that is the tension is that the people from the Laurentian area really are suspicious and hostile towards the, you know, the reform conservatives or whatever you want to call them. And it, the, and it goes both ways. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like, well, it's it, like the left is become a dirty word now <laughs> and it didn't used to be that like it got mm -hmm. it got better when like it wasn't as bad when stephen harper was um the prime minister you know like it wasn't as like the regionalism didn't feel so awful but now that like you know we have like trudeau and like the trudeau foundation people and everything like basically running stuff it's almost like I always joke, oh yeah, well, you know, Canada um Canada stops at the Ontario Manitoba border. So like we're just like the audience or something. <laughs> like I sort of feel like that, you know. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> so uh on maybe a final note. Okay. A quote from Piers Morgan. Okay. Piers. Uh, yeah. I have no problem with Tucker doing the interview. I'll do one with Putin myself if we haven't banned me from entering Russia. <laughs> Piers is another one. Sometimes he's a sassy and sometimes he's a bit of a bitch. But Piers is another one that he's in a special category of men who uh, have stood up and said, uh, yeah, no, women don't have penises. So even though these men can be assholes sometimes, there's a few men that, you know, they said from the very beginning, no, men can't be women. And so they're always going to be. Oh, the final thing, I guess, is I don't know if you heard this. Um, apparently, Tucker is going to be interviewing Snowden. Oh. That should be interesting. That's going to trigger some people. Yep. <laughs> Snowden always triggers the the uh, intelligence world. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, if he keeps this up, he's gonna getting fired from Fox is probably the best thing that happened to him. <laughs> oh, you know what I said? Did you see what what happened? Total Tucker won this round, man. Fox showed a clip from Tucker Carlson media. Mm -hmm. You know, Fox that fired Tucker Carlson? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that great? That is good. <laughs>